what Keep Kids Alive is all about. It's all about preserving relationships. Hi, I'm Jerry. I am the founder of the Connor Lynch Foundation. It's hard sharing that story all the time. You're making yourself vulnerable. It takes a toll. It's just getting together to break bread, so to speak, and and sort of just be in the same space and share stories is a really important thing as well for healing and allowing us to keep moving forward. In a sense, like this is something that's just going to happen because we have cars and streets. I don't really think that. I think we can do a lot better. They saw life change in a second. They saw their lives change in a second. They went from children to adults. After you see your best friend get killed by a car in the street. Hello, everyone. I'm Tom Everson. I'm the executive director and founder of Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. And I want to welcome you to the Keep Kids Alive podcast. We're delighted to have Jerry Lynch with us today. Jerry has been so involved in uh, distracted driving issues, not just here in America, but worldwide. And uh, I really look forward to hearing your story, Jerry, and uh, talking about Connor and the passion, the spirit that uh, fuels your mission. I always like to start out with, you know, how did we connect? You know, goodness, it's, it's, you know, it's been a while now. It's been, it'll be 10 years. That was the day that Connor was killed, October 19th, 2010. So we're coming on 10 years in October. And so thinking back, how do we connect? We go back quite a, quite a ways. After Connor was killed, I, it wasn't long after that that we decided that we want to establish a foundation in his honor. And at some point, one of my friends, who's actually a very good friend of my ex-husband, she had done some research and she had connected with you, Ida. Uh-huh. And she got back to me and said, this is really a great thing. Um, keep kids alive, something that I'm really interested in. And I think I called you. Yes, you did. Um, or you might have called me. I remember your phone call uh, distinctly yeah. because it was in late December of 2010. And and uh, we yeah. talked about foundations and right. I had no idea the zeal and passion uh, that you would have in uh, establishing Connor's foundation. Uh, but that happened in pretty short order and, uh, you know, has taken you many places uh, since that time. So I'd like to invite you to just share your story about the origin of Connor's foundation. Well, thank you. You know, I, what I'm thinking about now is I immediately ordered, you know, I ordered the lawn signs and the stickers, which are the Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. And you would be so impressed. They're actually still on almost all of my neighbor's trash cans out on my street. So they, they lasted there for quite a while, although I could be due for some new ones. Well, that's a good advertisement. I appreciate it. Yeah, that. yeah, it's great. And so it reminds us all the time. And that was one of the first things I wanted to do. But, you know. Connor was killed on October 19th, 2010. It was uh, about 3.30 in the afternoon on a Tuesday, and he was crossing the street for cross-country practice with Notre Dame High School. And he was killed in the middle of the street by an 18-year-old, distracted, hit-and-run, non-licensed driver. 
It all happened after I did some, you know, research. I didn't know anything about the time period, but October 19th was right during what's called National Teen Safe Driver Awareness Week, which I didn't know existed. So we were already know, knowing, this was established by the Department of Transportation, but we were already knowing that there was an issue with cell phones in particular arising. I didn't really know much about that at the time, but I did know that, you know, this has seemed like a, a really crazy thing that happened to a, a kid who's, you know, six one going across the street. It just doesn't happen. You know, it shouldn't be happening. So I wanted to, because I had three boys and uh, one was a freshman at the time. Connor was a, a junior in high school. His brother Riley was a freshman and Parker was just in middle school in October. We'd always done triathlons. We'd always participated in sports, you know, all the hiking. And, and we were outdoors, you know, riding bikes. And we wanted to, you know, we were competitors. And we wanted to keep that going. We just knew that we wanted to do something. And so we created the 5K Run, Walk in Honor of Connor. That was really kind of to get, it's, it's just to really bring everybody together and introduce them to National Teen Driver Safety Week. I think I always get that wrong. It's National Teen Safe Driver <laughs> Week. But nobody else had heard of that either. And a lot of people really were coming mostly because it was so surprising and so shocking in our community, you know, to have this happen. And I know, Tom, you've come to several of the events. I don't know if you came to the first one. I think so. Yeah, you might have. And then, of course, that was a lot about Connor. And it wasn't too much after that, having been in, trying to become involved in, as an advocate in what I call now traffic violence. And we can talk about that later. This is a pandemic that existed before the pandemic of COVID, a public health crisis. And I would love to get into that in a little bit, too. But the next year, it might have still been about Connor. And then I kept meeting people throughout the country, including yourself, and you knew so many people who had lost loved ones. And so we tried to make it more about not just Connor. It wasn't just this one isolated tragedy in Sherman Oaks. It was about everybody else and what became really a pandemic, as I call it. And so we proceeded to do seven years of the run, which you were at many of them, and have a memorial garden, which grew from people that we knew, maybe 20, 30 pictures of people like the one that you're showing. Then it became like over 100 photos. I think in 2017 was the last one. And we were hoping to do it again in 2020 for the 10-year anniversary. You know, we may have to do it virtually this year, and that's a possibility. And so really, we're about safe streets. We raise awareness, and we want to contribute to organizations that are working in this area, distracted driving, pedestrian safety, even young drivers, because Connor would have been a 16-year-old driver, and he was killed by an 18-year-old, so, you know, during that teen safe driver week, and also for um, runners, because that was that was something that we participated in. You're training for triathlons. You got to get out on your bike. You got to get out running. We want to encourage people to be healthy. And with three boys, that's something that we, you know, we did. So we knew how to do a run. And that's what we decided to do. And it grew steadily. I think the first year, Tom, we might have had like 700 people. 
And then it doubled years after that. And, you know, at the height, we probably had 3,500 people. And I know, uh, you know, some of the families that you have connected with, I think of uh, Sherry and Duke Rogers from uh, up in the Boise area in Idaho, that they came down one year and we were able to connect with them because uh, we were working with them as well through uh, Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. And it is a, a different kind of community experience. Oh, it is, uh, yeah. bringing people together. Maybe you could speak to that a little bit, just about your experience of connecting with other families. Well, you know, that was amazing. And it's interesting because you did connect me with so many people. You've been doing this a little bit longer and that we're still in touch with. And they we're all on Facebook together, even, you know, for driving skills for life. Jim, Jim Graham, who I see now and again, not lately, but at the governor's highway safety meeting, which was last year in Long Beach. And then, of course, advocates and families. There are so many of us. I would say that 300 people and they would come to the events and we'd support each other. Obviously, that's fallen off a bit because of the pandemic. We try to keep things going. But yeah, it was great. We'd have advocates have their own booths and then they could talk to other people about what happened. You were talking about Jerry and Rob. About, yeah, Sher- Sherry and Duke, yeah. Yeah, they had Buckle Up for Bobby. Right. So that was, you know, so we had somebody talking about seatbelts and somebody talking about uh, distracted driving. And then somebody even came who was a friend of mine who had killed two people while he was texting. But we started bringing people in all sorts of different areas because they can impact, you know, their stories very much touch people in different ways. So that's a big network. Yeah. So I want to circle back to Connor. Talk about Connor. Uh, You know, what stood out about Connor when you think about the things that you hold close to your heart or the stories that people have shared with you? Well, you know, this is always always the hardest part because um, we know what our mission is and we want to protect other people and we don't want any families to go through this, not only families, but communities, local, national and global. But when you talk about, you know, your son, Connor was my firstborn son, who was just 16, just about to get his license, you know, it it becomes much more emotional. You know, Connor, I found out after he died from so many people. I, I don't think my house was ever my house for 30 days. There were so many people here and at the funeral that, you know, he was always a nice person and very caring. And even people who didn't know him were very affected by what happened, Connor was, you know, the big brother. He was tall. He was six one, And he was a lifeguard. And he was a great student. He was a great athlete. He played football. He played basketball. And he was very caring. I mean, he was teaching young kids how to swim. Even those kids, you know, that are older now still reach out to me. So he was quite a, a role model in so many ways. You know, that position has really not been filled. And it's a really smart person, a really smart kid and a really caring kid who was just really nice. Really loved music. That was one of the things he, he was very passionate about. And there was just so much that we were looking forward to. And I know he was looking forward to when you're in your junior year in high school. You know, you finally get it kind of together. And... No, he didn't get to go to that graduation, which I did celebrate with some of his good friends and was, uh, of course, there. And there was a nice remembrance of that. But 
That's a little bit about him. Uh, you know, it gets me choked up talking about it quite a bit. Well, when you think about uh, the mission of Connor's Foundation, you know, how has Connor's life, love, and spirit uh, informed your mission over the years? That's a really good question. I mean, certainly this experience and having lost a, a son is very, it's traumatic, it's very humbling. I've always tried to reach out and incorporate everybody because I don't want, I didn't want it at really almost from the beginning to be just about Connor. I mean, cause we can't bring Connor back. So it was always about making sure that it didn't happen to other people because this was the beginning of me discovering that we have a pandemic in this country. And as you mentioned, you know, globally as well, but of Traffic violence and people losing their lives to distracted driving in particular, but reckless driving. In fact, we should touch on this too, but at some point, you know, during COVID, even though there's less driving, there's statistics that show that there's more people speeding, more reckless driving behavior and more distracted driving. So it's unfortunate that, you know, the, the pandemic of COVID has really sort of taken over. So we've lost that we had a pandemic where you had at least... 12 teenagers dying every day. That doesn't even include anybody who's not in a teenage range. So I think that that caring, that selfless, that personality that he had informs us that we wanted to not be selfish. We wanted to give attention to other families who had lost loved ones and share their stories. And we've always tried to incorporate all those stories into our mission because it's important to see the faces of those statistics. And I think those things are the things that impact people to change behaviors because after all, I think what we're trying to do is change behavior and people aren't really great at doing that. We can see what's happening with trying to get people to wear masks and, and, you know, changing certain behaviors. It's, it's very similar in many ways. So I think that's where we've tried to be really inclusive. And I think that directed us in that path. And it was always so much fun that the first run was, you know, sad because it was in memory of him. But after that, we grew. And I think you you can probably attest to it, Tom, because it became more of a celebration of life and not such a sad scenario. We actually had fun all together. We actually had, you know, people come and sing songs and bands. And we really, I think we celebrated life and we celebrated trying to take care of each other. Because at the end of the day, it's about caring. I can certainly attest to uh, those gatherings for the runs to being a celebration of life. You know, I know with Keep Kids Alive Drive 25, we've had our uh, 5K runs that we've had here in Omaha and brought many families together. And, you know, oftentimes I think people from the outside looking in might think, well, you know, that must be the most morose gathering that there could be in town that day. And it's like, you need to stop by. I said, because there are tears for sure. But there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of happiness. There's a lot of laughter. There's singing. There's celebration. Uh, and I think it's just that connection with each other on a very human level and in such a personal way that uh, oftentimes, you know, death is a very difficult experience to be able to uh, just share about. And I think when when people gather around a common bond and they're sharing 
stories about people who lived and loved, and I think always continue to live in love in our hearts and certainly inform the way that we live and the way that we celebrate in our lives. It really is edifying. And uh, those are certainly joyous occasions, those runs to honor Connor and engage so many other people. And I'll have to say for myself, I'm a little bit competitive. Uh, I may not be the fastest runner in the world. But I always did try to run my fastest. <laughs> yes. I think you won a medal, didn't you? I'm sure no, I, you won I a never, medal. I, 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 never, I never achieved that at your event, but I did run some pretty good times for, uh, I think, my my age, height, and weight. <laughs> I think, well, look, I mean, come on, Pikes Peak, nothing compares to that. So I give you all the credit in the world. These were These were quick runs. And, 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 you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because, and I agree with so much of what you said, but it reminds me that a lot of cross country teams would come to these mm-hmm. runs. They did. And that was really great to see because they really were caring about their community. And so you didn't really have a chance when you've got these cross country high school kids <laughs> that are somewhat breaking records. And because, you know, the walkers are taking 35, 40 minutes and um, these guys are, you know, done in no time. And were you here the year that we closed the streets and we all yes. went through the streets? Too? Yes, yes. That was a, a crazy fun time period. So seven years of that was, you know, you do the runs. In fact, I think you called me and said, hey, tell me how you did the run. And I said, kind of came organically because I've been, you know, a runner and had been involved in triathlons with the kids. So I was able to do something that I knew I'd never organized anything, but we were able to have that done pretty quickly. And and then I know yours took off as well, but I do miss doing it, although it is a lot of work to put it together. Well, and I'd say for our listeners out there that if you're working with a nonprofit and uh, you want to put together an event, do something that you have a passion for. Because mm-hmm. I think that's what makes runs successful yeah. for those of us who run, yeah. you know, that, uh, exactly. that we, really, we really have a passion for doing that. And so, you know, oftentimes I think that you can take your passion and it may take you in a direction that you never imagined it could take you, but it all ends up being for the good. But I want to ask you too, Jerry, because I know a couple of years ago you were able to join us for our Live Forward weekend out on Pikes Peak. And we'd just like to invite you to share your experience of that weekend. Wow. That was a great weekend. You know, I've been hearing about the Pikes Peak um, run and the celebration for for many years. I couldn't make it many times because it was always around Connor's birthday uh, on August 19th. So I finally did get out there. Beautiful Colorado. Amazing run. It was so inspiring. Quite a number of families. And the physical challenges alone were were inspiring. It's just such a great event, and what a turnout! It, it was really fun, and and I love the area. I did so much. You might remember every day. Oh, I did. In fact, after the run, I I hiked Pikes Peak myself. That was a feat in and of itself. And there's these people running up Pikes Peak. I mean, all different levels and ages. So. Uh, it was really great when we got together in the hotel rooms and we talked to people. I met quite a few people that had gone through the same or similar experiences. And, you know, as it is with advocates, when we get together, when we can get together, and you do make that happen once a year, it's really inspiring. And we share ideas, you know, and we can message each other. And a lot of it's just giving each other support. That's really necessary, too. So I miss that because I haven't been able to do that for a few years now. And I think that 
Uh, those are the types of things that I would like to, to do more often if I can. You know, advocacy is great and it's very necessary, but also advocates just getting together to break bread, so to speak, and, and sort of just be in the same space and share stories is a really important thing as well for healing and allowing us to keep moving forward. Well, thank you. I want to focus a little bit on your advocacy work because you've done that, I know, locally, nationally, and around the globe. And I'd like to just invite you to share maybe a story or two about some of the experiences that you've had in working with people and organizations around the world. Well, that's nice. Thank you. Gosh, thinking of 10 years, you know, you go back and I, I'll tell you what I'm doing now, but the kind of the exciting things that I did before, well, I can't do right now because of the uh, travel restrictions, but, you know, with the, the funds that we would make from the run, that was our biggest fundraiser. We were able to put together some movies and some PSAs, and they're all on YouTube under the Connor Lynch Foundation's panel. And one of those, the Connor Lynch Foundation, the official tribute to Connor, is about six minutes, and that's gone into high schools and middle schools all over the place. In fact, we were lucky enough to get into two road safety film festivals, international road safety film festivals. You helped us uh, get uh, one of our PSAs. Right. That's right. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah. Yeah. I did that in, and that might've been the Brazil one. So I went to, we went to Brazil and my mom and I went there together to show the movie um, we won an award there. And then the next year we went to Geneva, which was great because we were at the United Nations in Geneva and doing this international film festival and everybody's presenting their, their films, which are, you know, movies and mostly like ESAs or commercials that are throughout the, you know, the world to try to persuade people to change behaviors and to drive more safely. So that was a great experience. And I still like to take those opportunities to travel and show Connor's film where I can. Last October, I was in New York for the Vision Zero conference, which is a great conference, usually takes place in October. Currently, I'm working with Families for Safe Streets, which is a Southern California chapter. And I might get into that a little bit more, but that's where our chapter went to New York, which is where the kind of the national chapter started. New York started Families for Safe Streets. And we all come together, these chapters from around the nation that are growing and uh, attend a conference at Columbia, which is great. And then, you know, share stories and talk about things we can do to better ourselves as advocates. So that's kind of new and exciting. I think we won't be doing that this year, you know, in person. So that's the newest thing is trying to get a national uh, attention where all these advocates can come together. And I think we're hoping to have more impact that way. One of the things I, I want to hearken back to, you had mentioned about road mm-hmm. violence and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, talking a little bit more about that. I want to invite you to do that. Well, you know, over the years and talking to people and working with groups, I'm on the board of Southern California Families for Safe Streets and Los Angeles Walks, and we work with San Francisco Walks and, you know, all these groups across the nation. I mean, we really do now call this, this being all the dangerous behaviors, including distracted driving, and we mentioned before speeding and uh, everything that, that it entails, traffic violence. 
And traffic violence, if we can get people to think about it more like that, is a public health problem. And it needs to be treated like a public health problem. We need really, it would be great to have a national chapter of advocates that really say, look, this isn't just about distracted driving here or distracted driving there or someone crossed the street, which also is, you know, disheartening in a sense, like this is something that's just going to happen because we have cars and streets. I don't really think that. I think we can do a lot better in our behaviors, changing behaviors, stigmatizing bad behaviors, and street planning and city and urban planning. So we talk about it. We use the word traffic violence. We're beginning to talk about it. It was just before COVID as a pandemic and a public health crisis. Right now, COVID's overshadowing that, but it hasn't changed. In fact, as we were just talking about a few minutes ago, it's made matters worse because people are on the street driving faster. Some people haven't driven for a long time. Do they even know how to drive? So this is the idioms and the, and the ideology that we're looking for because we need people to take this more seriously. Too many people are dying needlessly. If I'm reminded during this time, Jerry, too, that uh, I've gotten calls from folks around the country that wanted to start a, a Keep Kids Alive campaign in their neighborhood because yeah. they haven't spent so much time in their neighborhood as they are right. now. And they're beginning to yeah, realize it's great. like, oh, my gosh, look how people are driving. And, you know, on the one hand, it would sure be nice if, if uh, people were being more courteous in their behaviors as they as they drive down the street. But on the other hand, is people recognizing that there are things that we can do if we mobilize on the local level and basically, you know, take back our streets in a particular way and, yeah. and to send a unified message out to the community. But I was thinking, too, uh, as you were sharing about road violence and you had mentioned the, uh, the National Vision Zero conference. And for our listeners out there who are not familiar with Vision Zero, I mean, Vision Zero is really what we as communities need to be about doing in order to reduce traffic deaths to zero, because it's the only acceptable number. And I, I think, Jerry, you could certainly uh, speak to that yourself as to why that would be the only acceptable number. Well, these are all, um, the, we're talking about preventable mm -hmm. deaths. And that's another point to bring up. They're preventable because they're, we can change our behavior. We know what causes these. So we do want to have zero fatalities. I think it's a rather lofty goal. And I would say in Los Angeles, it's a little disheartening because we're not, you know, we had some sort of benchmarks that we were supposed to meet. And unfortunately, we're not even close to meeting those benchmarks. I think it was supposed to be zero fatalities by 2025. And last year we had more pedestrian deaths. So we're not doing very well. I think New York sees that too. There's some places that are doing better than others. It doesn't mean we don't want to strive to get there. And we talk about what are the missteps or what can we do differently. There's definitely a lot of work to be done. But because these deaths are preventable because of, you know, different choices that drivers or even pedestrians need to make, we also don't call them accidents anymore. That's another very big change and another thing that we're really working on and have been for quite a while. We call them crashes and collisions. And it's very hard to get people to change their vocabulary, but words do matter. And the term accident, we know when we 
dealing with children or, you know, they've spilled a glass of milk. It's an accident. It wasn't an intended consequence. And it makes it seem like things are not preventable. Accidents just happen. There's going to be accidents if there's cars driving on the street. Well, not necessarily. They're not accidents. Many of them, almost all of them, I would argue, a very high percentage, involve choices and behaviors that people take on. They know when they get in a car now, presumably, after so many years of, of drunk driving, you know, advocacy and enforcement, that if you get in the car drunk, you're making a choice. It's in, intentional. And if you kill somebody, that's not an accident. It's also not an accident if you get in a car and you drive over the speed limit or you drive recklessly or you start looking at your phone and taking your eyes and your brain off the road. So that's why there are collisions and crashes. And I think it's really important to, to get that message out. It's not been easy because that term accident just gets stuck in our head. And maybe we do think that it's a urban casualties that this is, you know, a new normal to see 11 to 12 teenagers dying daily in our nation. I don't think it's acceptable. And I don't think anybody really would. So that's one of the things we're trying to push for on a national level, too. There's many different paths to try to combat traffic violence. And I would say that's one of the biggest ones that we're really focusing on. I know, uh, having served on the Vision Zero Task Force for the mayor's office here in Omaha, we're acutely aware of the behaviors that drivers or pedestrians or cyclists are engaging in that create the danger that ends up and that can end up in tragedy, knowing that, you know, through uh, the National Highway Traffic Safety uh, Administration and the Federal Highway Administration, that that their data shows that 95% of what are called accidents are, are not accidents, that they, you know, right. they really are those crashes or collisions or incidents that uh, were completely preventable. You know, even if we go back and, and look at the drunk driving uh, crashes that continue to happen, you know, hopefully from a generational standpoint that there's more thought put into to designated drivers and Ubers mm-hmm. and Lyfts, which I realize Ubers and Lyfts are not being used as much as they, they were a few months ago, but recognizing there are alternative ways to get home and you can plan for that beforehand. So you're, you're not trying to make a decision from a, a mind that's clouded. Right. Or a mind that's distracted, you know, the same thing. Did you ever have an experience with uh, one of Connor's friends or maybe more than one of Connor's friends where they were able to share a story with you about him that that you hadn't heard before or that surprised you or just uh, consoled your soul? You know, I did. And at the beginning, of course, they tell me many things. One of his friends who was really close, and I think he, he was actually there that day, and their friends are in, in his movie. He said that he went out and he went over, I guess he went traveling by himself after he graduated from high school, I think it was, and that he would have never really had done that. Um, bravely enough to have taken that on. But the fact was with Connor, Connor used to, when someone used to come over and spend, you know, time with them at the house, they would get on their bikes and they would ride from Sherman Oaks to Venice Beach. That's a good 
25 miles. It's not easy to get from the San Fernando Valley to the beach. And these kids had never done anything like that. And Connor just like, come on, we're doing this. And so he was very inspiring and very independent in that way. So after that, so some of the kids felt, uh, some of his friends, that they could do things that they hadn't thought about doing before, not only because, you know, of that experience with Connor taking them on bike rides or visiting places in Hollywood that they didn't, they'd never been to before, but because they know that every day is so precious that the next day you don't know what might happen. So they wanted to take advantage of opportunities because, you know, you, you can't wait. You know, they, they saw life change in a second. They saw their lives change in a second. They went from children to adults after you see your best friend get killed by a car in the street. One of the guys in the movies, Paul, says everything was kind of just kind of slow. Nothing changed. And then once that happened, everything changed. They became, you know, adults. And they've, they've been able to accomplish some really great things. Because of that, and of course, that's wonderful. And when they let me know, um, you know, that they've graduated from college or that they are now working and, and, and getting jobs, first jobs, um, Connor would be 26 in August. So these young people establishing their lives and knowing that part of it is just have been hanging out with Connor and the experiences that they had together. And other part of it is that experience of losing someone that quickly and so tragically. That's nice. And it's nice that they still connect. Of course, I love to hear from them. It's bittersweet, too. You know, it was hard when everybody was graduating from high school and even harder when everybody was graduating from college. But that's why we keep moving forward so that more kids can do that. When you think about the challenge of Connor's graduation day and those marker events in life, what are some of the supports that you've had that have helped you to see your way forward? You know, I probably don't recognize them as much as I should, but I think at the beginning, my kids, obviously my other two children were very important. So I I did a lot based on, you know, having to, thank goodness, I had other children. So I had to keep going. And of course, we just try to recognize like you do anybody who's passed away. My father died in 2006. That was rather tragic. But it was very different than my son dying in 2010. It was different. It was not the course, the way things are supposed to happen. It's a challenge every day to get through a birthday or his angel day. I remember when my youngest son turned 16, I was like, oh, my gosh, my youngest son is now older than Connor. You know, these things that you kind of play with in your head. I don't know how I get through doing these holidays. I think just having, knowing a lot of people who um, have the same experiences, trying to reach out to them on those important days, especially birthdays and what we call angel days. And also the mission of trying to educate people that it doesn't have to be like this. We can do things differently if we have the education We have the enforcement and, in many cases, the legislation that we really need for this epidemic, so I say pandemic, of traffic violence. Do you want to speak to the legislation that you see as being important in your mind and your experience? Do you think it is uh, critical? Because, and I don't have the data in front of me, but 
But there are certain states that still haven't even enforced hands-free driving. There are some states that don't have any laws. And I'm from California, and we think we're kind of the leader. But we still have a – if you're driving with a cell phone that's, you know, not hands-free, it's a $20 ticket. I mean, to me, that's ridiculous. It does get up to about 167 because you have fees and you have court costs. But still, how does that show society that this is a really important thing not to do? So even as a, what we would say we're leaders in this field, we're really not because I see this along the same lines as drunk driving. And if we had better legislation, we had better enforcement, and we had stricter penalties, I think we would see behavior being stigmatized a lot quicker. I used to think, like, why are we still doing this as a human species? We must not be very smart because we already went through 30 years. It took Mothers Against Drunk Driving 30 years to get the legislation and enforcement and really education that they needed. And so I started looking back in time and thinking, well, when did we start with our cell phones? And and we're definitely past, you know, we should already know better because we could model everything almost exactly the same as drunk driving. And we do know that drunk driving has a much bigger penalty. It has a much bigger impact on your insurance rates. And in many cases, you are paying thousands of dollars because you have to defend yourself or there's a possibility of having to blow into the alcohol detector in your car. But we don't have that same type of stigma yet with texting or talking on the phone. And I don't know why, because we've had the phone now for, it might be going on 30 years. So it's time. I mean, how many people do we need to lose before we realize that this is, you know, our really number one problem, barring for the time being COVID. I'm reminded that in my own mind that, you know, the best legislation uh, around traffic safety, and this could be taken into other areas as well, that the best legislation is all about preserving lives. It's not about saving lives because, you know, every good law is there, whether it has to do with buckling up or stopping at a stop sign or observing a traffic signal that, I mean, it really is about preserving lives of people that we love and people who love us. And, you know, that's probably one of the particular challenges is, is to uh, personalize these laws in terms of they're real people and they're affecting real people. Uh, it's kind of sad in a way that uh, I guess in my own mind that we seem to wait for a tragedy to happen before recognizing that, you know, maybe there's something here that we need to address. And uh, right. and then, you know, having the will, you know, and the fortitude to, to go ahead and do that. Anyway, that's, you know, my two cents worth. <laughs> no, I I agree. And I and when you're talking about the will and the fortitude and you're talking about how you get through these these holidays and these dates, I work with a, a group of advocates and um, I would say that each of us represents, I mean, I can barely guess, but thousands of people, thousands of people who have lost loved ones, but they they can't get out of bed even. They they can't advocate. I mean, we know it's not just 300 advocates. We represent 50,000 people that have lost loved ones. I mean, these numbers are really crazy, but not everybody can go out and advocate. There, there are many of many people that I know that, that can't do that because it's, it's, it's hard. You're sharing that story all the time. You're making yourself vulnerable. 
It takes a toll. So behind every advocate are thousands of people that have lost loved ones that just can't talk to another person that, that, you know, for whatever reason, they're not able to do that. And that's always really something that I think about because there's just so many people who have lost loved ones. That's why I'm hoping that even the advocates that I know and that we all work together, we come together on a national level and it's getting there. We're getting there that we can be more powerful and that we can have more impact. And that's the goal. Well, and it's, it's good that, uh, that you and many people like yourself are able to be uh, advocates. And I really want to emphasize that word able because, you know, understanding that grief is such a unique experience for each person that goes through a tragic death-like experience like this. And so it's good that there are voices, but that it is good that there are, uh, there are passions, there are supports, you know, that are behind every advocate and uh, to recognize that not all of us are, you know, maybe the kind of person who can get up in front of a legislative body or a right. local city council and, and be able to speak, but to know that people don't do that as individuals. They may be they're an individual person, but they're, they're doing it on behalf of a community of people who, who need to be heard and spoken for. Listen, this um, traffic violence epidemic, um, it really, in similar ways as COVID, it happens in urban environments because maybe there's more pedestrians, but it also happens in rural environments. You've got people on bikes that are training or just on a long bike ride that are that are killed by people who think maybe they're on a not such a busy street so they can, you know, start texting on their phone. I mean, it happens everywhere. And so the people that it happens to, you never know what their skill set is. I always kid I'm a recovering lawyer, but having been a lawyer and my ex-husband's a lawyer, but also, I know, thank you for laughing, but it is true. Um, but once, you know, lawyer, you're always, you're always thinking about things that way, but that was a good skill to be able to have. But interestingly, I graduated from, from college from USC with a, a, a film degree in um, documentary films. Well, I didn't go into that area because I went to law school, but really the first documentary film I made was Connor's story. I mean, cause I had those skills. I hadn't used them. So it does depend, you know, every advocate has a different skill, hopefully that they can bring to the table and speak for so many other people who can't speak because that might have been their only child, and, and they just don't even know how they're going to make it through each day. So um, I really give a lot of kudos and to everybody who comes out in any way, whether it's to be an advocate or just to support a run or to come to your event or to just sometimes they find runs, you know, and they're just like, I just wanted to come run, and you had this event. And then they become, you know, people who are supporting the cause. So um, just lucky that I was able to do it and even luckier that going into 10 years that we're still keeping going. Not easy sometimes. Financially, yeah. pandemic, <laughs> you know, it's hard to find the wherewithal to keep moving forward. Your comments made me think that 
you know, I think most people have heard of the, uh, the show, the voice, but this gives a whole new meaning to the voice. Uh, yeah, when, when, you're right. When people That's will great. Be, be those advocates. Uh, I don't know if there's a producer out there that'll pick up on that and maybe create a whole different kind of show about being the voice. Uh, I think that's something you could do, Tom. You're doing it right now. Well, you know, I would be happy to work with you on anything like that because it definitely is. I think it's a great idea. We need we need ideas. That's what we really need. Last year, I was lucky enough to go to um, I hiked to Everest Base Camp in Nepal and anywhere I go I'm either wearing a bracelet or I'm sharing that story and then that story sort of gets passed on and after I summited um, to base camp about a little bit less than 18,000 feet I met a woman from Austria and I told her the story and she was going to do Everest uh, go to base camp too and she did it in Connor's name like she she wanted that reason and to go and to put that bracelet there so you know she goes home to Austria they have similar issues there so we share that story wherever we go around the world even if we're not doing a run or I'm not doing a presentation so that's another gift that I'm lucky enough to be able to keep doing and get to other places well, thank you. I'm glad that your passion for travel, too, has opened up so many opportunities for you. But, you know, one of the things that I, I was thinking of, and uh, I'm pretty sure the the weekend that you came out to Pikes Peak, that that mm-hmm. also was Connor's birthday weekend, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It was. It was. Because I think we actually ran because on Connor's. Because you always do it in August. Yeah. So yeah. I, think, I think that we ran on Connor's birthday that year. You have in the past, because you've done this a yeah. few years. So yeah. it always is the run comes on his birthday. Yeah. I still have the t-shirts. Yeah, I think it was pretty special that year that I came. It was on his birthday. It was really, it was really great. We can't be in a better place than Colorado too. You know, I do a lot of hiking. I get out and I think that is a great way. That's one of the ways I can get through those days is kind of just, you know, being outdoors and being very spiritual and trying to feel honor spirit. And that was easy to do. And um, where we were at Pikes Peak. I always think, uh, I, I don't know that you uh, have, if you've ever met uh, Tad and Jonah Johnson, they came to our first few uh, weekends for Pikes Peak in honor of their daughter, Alexa. And uh, Tad actually wrote a letter the first time they came out and they were the first family to come out. And uh, he wrote a letter when he got home. I sent it out to all the people on my e-list at that time because uh, Tad uh, had basically said there's magic on this mountain. There's just something yeah. about it. And he wanted to invite other families to come. And, and uh, the next year we had six families come and 24 family members. And then we had 43 family members come the next year. And the next year went off the charts because we had about 80 something. And I think we settled down the year that you came to about 55 or 60. It's still a lot. Yes. Well, it, it yes. is, but, it, but it's, it's, it, I have to admit when you have 80 family members coming, it, it, it really is a big reunion. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, It is know. like a reunion because you have a lot of events, not just the run and not just the all the events that take place the whole weekend. It, it, it was really great. And we've always wanted to be the Connor Lynch Foundation supportive of helping 
to get other families to come to that event mm-hmm. and to try to offset costs when we can. And hopefully we'll continue to do that. So to do that, of course, we need to fundraise to keep this movement going forward. I want to kind of begin to wrap up. And uh, is there anything that you are thinking about right now that you say, well, I wouldn't want to end this podcast without having tossed in this nugget or this message? I mean, we really covered a lot. Doing the podcast in and of itself inspires me. You know, you need these things. You need to talk to other people. You need to remember why you're doing what you're doing. Um, talking about Connor was not easy, but it was great. I mean, I have the opportunity to talk about my, you know, my oldest son. And that's kind of a luxury, really. So it's good inspiration. And it's not only people who've lost children. You know, we focus on that. But many people have lost husbands and wives and and fathers and and as I said, I work with people who've actually taken lives, and that's a whole nother area. And I hope to keep working with those people because it's always important to get their stories. And many of them, not not many, some of them have chosen to speak. I only know two, three, maybe. You know, that's something we should encourage as well to get people who have uh, had that experience share their experience. You know, Reggie actually went to jail. And he shares that experience with kids. And boy, you can see some kids who might have not paid attention so much are now thinking, yeah, I don't want to be that. So sharing these stories is really important to being able to overcome this traffic violence pandemic when we can. You know, we have to keep it in mind, even though we're suffering now from COVID. Well, Jerry, I want to thank you very much for having this conversation with us. But I also want to invite you to let listeners know, how can they learn more about the Connor Lynch Foundation and the work that you're doing? Well, thank you, Tom, for giving me this opportunity. It's really been a pleasure and time has just flown by. And I hope I've got some good information out there. But for people who are looking for additional information, they can go to the Connor Lynch Foundation website uh, at inhonorofconnor.org. Also, we're on Facebook. I'm not as strong on Twitter, but we're there and Instagram. I also work very closely with SoCal Families for Safe Street, which is also in all those places. And I do work with Families for Safe Streets nationally, which is on the move. And we're hoping to increase our membership of advocates And personally, they can find me on Facebook as well. So, and you can always reach out to Tom. He knows how to find me. So (laughs) you can't miss us. And and we do have some great PSAs. I would be negligent if I didn't mention that. Not only do we have Connor's movie, which is about six minutes, but we have some PSAs that are about one minute and two minutes. And they're pretty funny. We were able to work with some great personalities, a few celebrities. I think you'll find that those are fun um, PSAs to share in high schools or on social media and we just keep working to try to come up with ideas to help people understand the dangers of distracted driving and and beyond well thank you uh once again jerry and i want to remind our listeners uh connor is spelled c-o-n-o-r that's a good point just one n yes so if you're looking to honor connor then there's one n in honor and one n in connor so you can find uh the connor lynch foundation that way I love that. I think I'm going to steal that. Okay. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, thank you, Jerry. Thank you so much. I really 
appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. You know, again, it, it's good to look forward to. This is great inspiration. So thank you so much. Well, you're welcome, Jerry. Thank you for listening. And get involved by following on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, it's about kids. It's about safety. It's about caring. It's about time.